Good morning, everyone. How you doing? Good. We're going to continue in our series now in Romans chapter 8. We're going through a slow read through this wonderful chapter in the Bible. Pastor Kenny did such a great job last week giving us some really good tools for understanding it, and we're just going to keep building as we go here. So uh, you can follow along on the screen or get a pew Bible, however you want to uh, read the scripture and hear these words. Uh, may you uh, hear in the way that Jesus invites us to hear uh, with a, a kingdom ears so that God can do his work in you. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 26 says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you hear our hearts this morning? Would you know us and reveal to us through your word what can be possible as we pray? we come to know you and we understand the power that is made possible through you in our lives to deal with the most significant things in our lives. And we bring our full selves before you to hear this word. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, one of the things that I have learned to the best of my ability and had to be humbled a number of times in my life over is that people's pain is not something to take lightly. Uh, pain is a significant thing and we all have our way in which we have experienced pain in our lives. I can remember being in college at Azusa Pacific University, and that was a place I went to to learn about missions and what God is doing overseas to care for people in significant pain. And when you're 20 years old, you, and you grew up <laughs> how I grew up, um, with a lot of needs cared, taken care of, uh, you can have a bit of a naivete about people's pain. And I can remember getting pretty hyped up um, as a 20-something about what was going on in Africa and the missions that were happening there. And so what I did was I signed up to visit this orphanage that was connected to a church. And I pretty much did that as I graduated from college. I went off by myself. Um, and my parents thought I probably shouldn't go totally alone, so they convinced a family friend to at least do the first week with me. 
uh, and we went off together, me and Fred, to Tanzania, Africa. And one of the things that we did when we got there is we went to this place called Moshi. And our job was to take medication and to give it to people that lived in rural Africa who had experienced extremely challenging health problems. And I can remember showing up and seeing the lines and lines of people that had come to be with me who had no medical uh, expertise whatsoever to receive medication and care. And I can remember in that moment feeling like all of that hype about what I was going to do and how I was going to make an impact was completely destroyed by this new reality of understanding what significant pain in somebody's life is really all about and then a community in pain can what that can look like and it gave me this new humility and new questions to think through as far as what is my role in dealing with the world's significant pain. And I also know that this text this morning and the, this chapter that we've been reading is really God's message to the church about how he deals with significant pain and what we should do with our pain in our life and it's totally different than some of the messages and the ways in which the external world and our culture teaches us about how to deal with pain. One of the frameworks that I've been thinking about is through a TV show that Katie and I have recently just started watching. I haven't seen the whole thing yet because it's not all out yet, but it's on Hulu. It's called Dope Sick. I don't know if you've heard of this show, but it tracks the real-life story of the Sackler family. And Richard Sackler was a man who sought to cure the world's pain. That was his mission in life, or at least his stated mission. And the way that he sought to do that was to create a drug called oxycodone. And he made this drug, and he was able to manipulate the healthcare system to not express the significant addictive qualities of oxycodone. And so he was able to profit billions and billions of dollars. And his strategy was to take this drug, whether he knew or believed or had deluded himself as to how addictive it was or not, to the most uh, susceptible communities in rural Appalachia, places where people were working in mines and doing hard blue-collar work. And so uh, their doctors, being lied to themselves, would, would refer people oxycodone, and then addictions would start happening. And so you probably have followed this at least somewhat in the news. And so you can see how pain is an industry. 
the way in which people experience pain is not to be taken lightly. And so we can think of the ways in which the world is teaching us to deal with our pain, and which is significant, and I'm not, obviously there's ways in which we treat pain medically, which is really good. But there's also this way in which we need to be hyper-aware of the messages around pain that are being told to us about how do we relieve our pain, and how God is teaching us how he wants to deal with us when we are in moments of significant pain. And the first invitation this morning from verse 26 is that you are so welcome to bring your pain to God in prayer. If you hear nothing else, May you hear this repeated message that you are called as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, to take whatever it is that you're experiencing and turn that, that baggage, that hurt, that angst towards heaven and to bring that before God and then God can begin to do the work that he wants to do that's being described in this text. Paul is our expert guide this morning in what happens when you take that invitation up and you begin to pray through whatever you're struggling through. He's going to describe what is actually taking place in the heart of a believer during prayer and especially during moments of significant struggle. And perhaps you've been in moments of prayer like this, but you couldn't name exactly what you were experiencing. And so Paul's even a greater guide to say, when you felt that, this is actually what was happening in the life of the Trinity, in the community of heaven. This is what happening when you felt that during prayer. One of the biggest barriers I always uh, hear about and sometimes feel myself when it comes to prayer is this barrier of feeling inadequate. Like, I don't have the words. I don't know what to say. I don't know how I'm going to actually connect to God. I don't know uh, how to even express exactly what I'm feeling inside. And so how can I pray for that? And this inadequacy is so interesting how Paul deals with it, right? Because he says, yeah, exactly right. You don't know how to pray. And I don't know how to pray. And nobody knows really how to pray. So why don't you just come on down? Because you're not going to do it right anyways. And that's not the point. The point is not to know or become the expert in knowing exactly how to pray. The point is that if you're willing to take up a posture of prayer, just turning, like I said, just turning, reorienting all that you have towards heaven, then things start to happen. One of the metaphors that I like to think about because sometimes I need to, to be reminded is of uh, dealing with the trash. I, at my house, I'm in charge of taking the trash out. 
And so one of the things that I'll, I'll do uh, as a trick to kind of, you know, lessen my work, maybe you've tried this trick too, is that the trash can will start getting kind of full, but, you know, if you just press it down as hard as you possibly can, then you can buy yourself some time, right? And then you can put some more in there, and, you know, at times I may have stood on the trash can in my younger years in order to just press that trash down as much as I can because I don't want to have to deal with actually taking out the trash, right? This can happen in our lives as well as things uh, build up, as stresses build up, as anxiety builds up, as pain builds up, real life problems build up. One of our tendencies just kind of compress all that. Don't have time for it. I'll get to it later. I'm going to deal with it, God, I promise, but now is not the right time. I just don't have an hour for my solo time. Uh, I'm not, you know, I got things to get done. But as those things compress and they don't have any way of being alleviated, things can get really, really stressful. And and this buildup is where we lead to burnout. As we compact and compact and build up and build up, then we end up steering towards burnout instead of what God is inviting us to do here, which is to simply go to God, especially in our weakness. And then what we'll discover there is the paraclete. You all know what that is, right? I remember one time in my... New Testament survey class with Mary Mai Thompson, I raised my hand to innocently ask for a definition of the word paraclete. And she thought I was being clever, and she went on to describe, oh, yes, of course, in this text, in that text, this is what the paraclete is. And I was like, no, I don't know what that word means, but I couldn't raise my hand to tell her that, right? But all that means is that the Holy Spirit is our helper. That's what a paraclete is. It's just the Holy Spirit wants to help. In our times of pain, in our times of struggle, we don't need fancy words, theological words. We just need some help. And that's one of the great roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And let's not forget, too, that uh, the text doesn't take pain lightly either. That the text itself three times has already described in this chapter about pain. It's talked about what happens in creation as creation experiences a pain, a brokenness. It says that there's a groaning of all of creation. Then a few verses later, verse 23, I believe, in the text it says that we actually join with the first fruits of the Spirit in this groaning inwardly, that we experience what the whole earth experiences inwardly in our spirit in prayer in light of the Holy Spirit. And now we're seeing that there's a third groan. The third groan is from the Holy Spirit, expressing like we're expressing this same dissonance, the same angst, the same longing. It's joining with all of this groaning. And it's, it's, it's coming in not to judge, but to come alongside. And to share and to be in communion with the groaning of creation and the communion and the groaning that we feel in, the, in, in, in order for a purpose. And that purpose 
is that it's going to become a divine translator. It's actually going to search the heart behind our words. And then hear and listen in a way that we can't listen, to listen to the thing behind the thing behind the thing that we not might not even know is really there, and it's hearing the thing behind the thing, searching our hearts, and then bringing that before God because of Jesus who made it possible as a bridge. And so the Trinity works together, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to deal with our pain to have a conversation about our pain, to have a conversation about our heart and what we struggle with, and all that trash compaction. And then there's this way in which this work is happening as God searches our hearts. I want to give you a quote here from John Bunyan, the great Puritan preacher and writer. He says this, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Is it possible that God knows you this way already? And really what you're doing and what we're doing, what Paul's guiding us through, is just tuning in. God is the one who moves first. God is a prime mover. God is the one who loved us. He first loved us. And so when we go to prayer, it's not so much can we conjure God to come pray with us, but no, God is already there and we're tuning in to his work. And sometimes what Paul's saying here, and he's showing us what's going on behind the scenes when all of this is happening, when we bring our little groans to God, that he's showing us that what's going on behind the scenes is this whole work, this whole work that says, no, actually your cry is part of the big groan, the big, large, significant groan of all of creation. And so your little groan gives way to the big groan. I can remember having a season where I had uh, been built up with stress and anxiety, and it was uh, about three or four months into the pandemic. And you go into the, you know how you go into adrenaline mode, and you just start trying to figure out what to do by your own strength. And I was talking to my spiritual director about all of this, And he said, what happens if you just sit in your prayer, uh, somewhere in prayer for about an hour and try and be quiet? When I did that, um, after (laughs) some cajoling, I just had tears and tears and tears and tears. I'm telling you, I cried for about three hours that day in prayer because I had so much buildup. I had so much that I had not given to my Heavenly Father that I needed to go through this form of prayer. And I was led to this exact text as a guide 
to teach me what was actually happening to me in prayer, to give me language for what was happening, that God can help me, that the Holy Spirit wants to help in prayer. What the Holy Spirit wants to do is make some margin, make some space, and to say, let lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That I will never leave you nor forsake you, that I will actually be with you in your moments of grief and trouble, especially in moments of prayer. I love the way that the movement of the Holy Spirit is described going all the way back to Genesis 1-2. The second line of Scripture says this, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And the translation in the Hebrew is rakaf. This movement is unique. Actually, a lot of scholars say it means to brood, which is also a strange word. It's actually the second definition, to brood, because the first one is to complain, you know, and, and stew in bad feelings. But the second one speaks of the imagery of a, a bird, a mother bird, who's brooding over her eggs and shaking and fluttering and creating an atmosphere, a temperature for her eggs to hatch, the perfect exact temperature for her eggs to hatch to bring new life into the world, to bring her hands into the world. This is the image of the Spirit, the Spirit brooding over the waters in Genesis. This is something that Moses picks up in Deuteronomy 32, 11, as he's telling his people the story of what's happened to them and reminding them of their history. Speaking of Abraham, he says this, In a desert land he found him, Abraham, in a barren and howling waste. We know that's a description of how Abraham was old in age with Sarah before they, were, they learned they were going to have a child. This is barren and howling waste, this impossible emptiness, right? Then it says, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as an apple of his eye like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young. So here's another description of God hovering, hovering over the pain, hovering over the barrenness, hovering over the emptiness. And that's what the Spirit wants to do, is to come in and to hover over, to create a new atmosphere. These great groans are, it's appropriate to think of them in the context of childbirth, as we've been reminded many times. But the great groan is not all there is, right, in childbirth. There's a groan, and then there's a push. There's a groan, and then there's a push. And so the Spirit is there to bring the push, to hear the groan, but to bring the push to give purpose to the pain, to transform the pain. Nicodemus, a, a spiritual teacher who was confounded by Jesus, is given this instruction in the middle of the night to teach Nicodemus about what God is actually like. It says this, 
Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh give birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. This is the description of Spirit giving birth to Spirit. That when you let God's Spirit enter in and to move in your life in the midst of your pain, that there's something new being born, something wholly new. And so, yes, it looks like tears and pain because there is a dissonance. There is a longing for a new way, something better, something whole, not something incomplete. When we feel this pain, we feel this, this sense by which things are not right. And truly, that is a calling into prayer. If I feel things aren't right, then the first place that I am invited to go is to bring that before Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One scholar writes it this way. What the Holy Spirit was doing in Genesis when he brought forth or gave birth to the earth and the world is exactly what he wants to do through our prayers in bringing forth sons and daughters. Meaning that in our prayers, what's happening is the fulfillment of what we've already learned about in this text, that the glory of God is revealed by the sons and daughters as they come to realize exactly who they are. So God makes and forms us to bring us into our sonship, into our daughtership, And so we feel that groan and push, groan and push throughout our lives as a way God is is transforming us and making us new, and then he's doing that so that we can invite others into this process to deal with their pain the way that God wants to deal with the pain. A pastor's heart, a genuine pastor's heart, will reveal this. Paul, speaking to a church that had all kind of mess-ups, going on in Galatians, says this to them, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is the primary source of all human pain, and it should not be taken lightly. But I'm hoping that what is being revealed to you, as it is revealed to me, is that there is a purpose for your pain that it is deeply meaningful, that God God is using human pain to bring about a new world. And sometimes it's easy to get lost in the pain. And so I want to be here today to say, would you also allow the Holy Spirit to help you push? to use all of that pain to bring something new and beautiful, a new heaven and a new earth into this world. We get a picture of what that will look like in its final form in the book of Revelations. So we think about all of creation groaning, our inward groaning, and the Holy Spirit groaning, and how God worked on us in the beginning, as Pastor Kenny said. We had a way in which he met us for that first time. We have a way in which he's meeting us right now. And we have a way in which all of that 
will be completed one day. And this is a picture of that completion. It says this, Then I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and evermore. So it's all of creation rejoicing. All together. And so the pain has turned to a song. The grief and sorrow has turned to joy. Uh, A couple weeks ago, last time, I think it was last time I got to preach, I also requested a song, a song I told you about that I, I sing to my daughter when uh, I'm putting her to bed sometimes. And it just so happened that week that my daughter had a cold, and so she, she was sitting in the back because we didn't want to put her in Sunday school to get everyone else sick. And so she heard the whole church sing that song. And so now, when I'm singing that song to her, she goes, Daddy, that's the song that the church sang. And I feel like it's like the one magic trick that I could do. That dad has some power, you know, can make something happen. And and so for her, in her little three-year-old brain, I'm sure it felt like, in a way, we were singing her song. Singing our song. And... This is the image we get here in Revelation. That God wants you to join in this song. And he knows that there's a barrier to you joining in. Which is you're looking around going, have you seen how things are? And you're looking around and you're seeing what's inside of you and you're saying, man, there's a lot that doesn't make sense. And so the helper says, it's okay. Bring it up. Bring it up. Bring it to me. I'm the translator. I'll take it to God, and we'll make it a song. And if you do that, all that trash compiled up, I promise you, you will no longer lead to burnout, but you will lead to transformation. And so may we take Jesus up on his invitation and Paul's guide to pray in this way. Will you pray with me? Lord, you've heard us groan, and you know it's not always pretty, and sometimes it's a groaning uh, that's justified because there, I know there are people in this room with very real pain, So I pray, Holy Spirit, helper, would you move, would you cover them, would you brood over them right now? And Lord, you also know that sometimes we just groan to groan. And yet you listen anyways. And we do it imperfectly, and so we just pray that you would help us to grow to be more connected to what matters, to the true pain in this world and in ourselves. And Lord, as we do this, as we stumble along this path, 
Lord, would you still give us moments of great praise to bring glory to your name and to join in with all of creation and the future of where we will be, to practice now for what we are headed towards, to bring you glory and to speak of your honor and power and the way in which you can do this work in us. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.